I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Come to Daddy with Ruben Kay, the podcast about our parents, because we've all had them at some point. I don't want to say I have mummy issues, but my first memory is her using my grip reflex to hold her cigarette while she breastfed me. Hi, welcome to another episode of Come to Daddy, hosted by me, actress, model, and the reason they've added extra border security at Heathrow, Ruben Kay. Join me as we roll around in the king-sized bed of familial relations and trade blows in the pillow fight of forgiveness. (laughs) That is so stupid. No man is an island, although some men I've met on holiday do have a peninsula, and none of us stand alone as much as we'd like to think we do. And the first people who mould us in some form or other, for better or worse, are our parents. And that's where I come in. Oh, that's not the phrasing we need. Each episode of Come to Daddy, I chat to my guests, the cognoscenti of the contemporary comedy scene about their parents, their lives, their worldview, and how all of that intersects warts and all. And hopefully, have a laugh in the process. Otherwise, this is going to be like a Werner Herzog film, but with less laughter. And trust me, this is not just about them. Like every other white man, I'm framing this all within the parameters of my own self-growth and making sure you're all there to witness it. Because I apparently am such a monster now, I need production values to masturbate. A little backstory on me. I was raised in a German-Russian-Jewish immigrant household in 90s white Christian Australia. My mum is German, one of the good ones, I should say, although every so often she does get a bit overeager with a pot roast and I question it, and my dad was a painter and sculptor. Family was and still is the centre of my identity. It's the lens through which I view the world, and now I'm on a journey of discovery to see how my guests feel about their parents. Are they... Dr. Seuss lovey-dovey, racist literature redacted, of course, or are they Kramer versus Kramer? 
I'm really dating myself with that reference, but see the film. It's brilliant. And I'm not alone in this endeavour. I am ably assisted, guided even, by the firm hand of my brilliant producer. I won't say she's a witch, but she did just get back from Salem, Massachusetts and smells faintly of smoke. It's Amanda Sangorski. Hello. Thank you very much for that. He never tells me what to, what he's going to say, so I've got nothing, it's as a, always, of any interest to say. It's like a little present you get to unwrap every day. It's like the worst Christmases all rolled into <laughs> one, the most disappointing gift. Well, how about this, Amanda? What if our listeners are so stirred through emotion? What if we bring up something or they want to share the Christmas presents they've received? Can they participate and come to Daddy? No. No, they can. Yes, 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 please. And we really do want them to. I'm just messing. So we've got a Gmail, haven't we? Very forward, futuristic uh, Gmail, which is come to daddy podcast at gmail.com. That's an email, just to clarify. An email address. We are riding the crest of the tech wave on the Twitter collapse. On we go. We have to get on to it because we have a big day of spitting into the wind of trauma and suffering the splashback of understanding. At Come to Daddy. So let's get into it. My guest today is a UK comedy trailblazer. She burst onto the comedy scene as a proud Muslim woman directly after 9-11, no relation, and went on to sell out with her shows The Kardashians Made Me Do It and Coconut. But most remarkably, she did all this from a traditional family background. The eldest girl in a big Pakistani family from Birmingham, she was brought up to respect her elders, know her place, and never to show her legs in public, which is a shame because they're a killer set. But most importantly for this podcast, she has enough mum and dad material to make Oedipus wish he could do a sequel. It's Shazia Mirza. Come to daddy, Shazia. Okay, hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for coming into our very professional recording studio. Oh, this is amazing. This is, how, this is where it all begins, isn't it? It's true. You've got to start at the bottom. And, well, and I'm a big bottom, so it works. <laughs> Amazon started in a garage. We started in a muse. All right, first off, this is a very quick questionnaire we're going in. First off, as a percentage, how much do you blame your parents for how you turned out? Um, 80%. Perfect. Yeah. How many are still alive? Both of them. Both of them. They're nearly dead, though. Oh, well, they're nearly gone. Countdown to not long left now. (laughs) I mean, he's eighty-four, two heart attacks, diabetic, overweight. There can't be long left. That's what I keep telling myself. That's how you feel. It feels optimistic. This statement. It feels like you're driving to a goal here. Is the is the flat or the house worth getting? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's a big, big mansion in Birmingham, but you know you can't have everything. But (laughs) it's big enough. It is. Is it near Nightingales? It's near. It's near Edgbaston. No, it's not near the Night. The Nightingale Club is about twenty minutes away on the bus, or you can even walk there. But it's near Edgbaston Cricket Ground. Thing is, if you have a good night at Nightingales, you can walk there, but you definitely shouldn't be walking back. You need an Uber and maybe some gaffer tape. I've, been, I've had a couple of nights in Nightingale. Oh, I've had a couple of nights in. I lost a shoe in there once at the Nightingale. <laughs> I, I, I saw Lily Savage in there with all my gay friends when I was about 16. I thought, my God, this is amazing. Next time I went there, I lost my shoe and I had to go home with one shoe on. Yeah. Never but... recovered that shoe. Question, well, how old were you when you saw 16, Lily? I was 16. You got snuck into Nightingales at 16. With my gay friends, who were also kind of... There wasn't a gay scene. How did you get out of the house? Because you had strict Muslim parents. Yeah, I escaped through the uh, through the window in the in the top. Uh, it's a three floor, three story house. And they didn't do a prison check. 
They wouldn't knock on or sneak in and see if you were there? I'd, I'd leave about midnight and come back about four Amazing. in the morning. And the reason I lost my shoe is because I was trying to get back into the house in these massive platform shoes. And one of them just fell off and, and rolled down the street. And how did you buy huge platform shoes? Were you working? I was working at Baskin Robbins, which is an ice cream mm-hmm. parlour, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I met all my gay friends because they were also working there. It's true. But I went to Chuff Chuff, which was like these private parties in Birmingham. Great name. Which they used to have on boats and secret locations. And they would never release the name of the um, location until 24 hours before the party. Sure. So you'd buy the tickets... My gay friends would buy the tickets and um, and then they'd go, we're going to Chuff Chuff. And it would be a 24-hour party in a secret location somewhere in Birmingham, in, in the outskirts of Birmingham, some country house, some boat, some, some river, somewhere. Oh, I love and that. And I met Boy George there. And um, he came up to me, actually. I mean, I love Boy George. But he came up to me and he said, oh, you look amazing. I was wearing a John Richmond black jacket with red feathers. And a black PVC leather skirt. Camp. And um, he came up to me and said, oh, you look amazing. And so we had our photo taken. And it was by a photographer who was photographing for the Birmingham sure. Evening Mail. And it ended up in the paper the next day. And my dad buys the Evening Mail every day because he's so local. He just loves local press. Wants to know what all the local Asians are doing in the area. Gossip, if gossip. Any- you know- I want approval from everyone, but I want to know what's happening. So I've got ammunition because I'm still very insecure about my place in society. Because they're very competitive in Birmingham. And all the Asian men, they compete with each other. They all want to be millionaires. Oh, but look at the Jewish community in Melbourne. Look at Jewish... Like, I just think, again, ethnic communities. It's the same thing of going, everyone in everyone's business, the gossip, the ammunition, your place in society, your hierarchical kind of competitive nature. Like, my dad is like, oh, my God, how much is his cash and carry earning? Because they earn all... They own all the cash and carries in Birmingham. So my dad's got my dad's got a cousin Latif who's got the biggest cash and carry, and he's always in the paper. Oh, Latif's got this new stock in. Latif's just got Liz Hurley down to do the opening. He thought it was Harrods. It was like the Harrods of Birmingham. <laughs> so my dad always buys the local paper, and he saw me in it with Boy George. But I, I denied it was me. I said that's not me. Oh really? And did that? <laughs> did they buy that, Shazia? I said, it's not me. I said, how can that be me? I said, I was never... I was asleep upstairs the whole time. Yeah. Did you see me come down? Did you hear me? Do I wear PVC leather skirts? You've got the wrong person. It's not me. Did you successfully gaslight your parents? I did, yeah. No, stop it. Yeah, I did. They believed you instead of their own eyes. because they. that's not me. That's not me. I mean, it, you, it looked like you, Shazia. Well, it's I had you a in lot a wig. of makeup on, <laughs> and a lot of makeup on. <laughs> what would I be doing in a club at three o'clock? Isn't it funny that, like, for parents as restrictive as yours, they would be, they're happier to believe quite a blatant they're lie. In denial. Yeah. They're in denial. A friend of mine, a gay friend of mine, said, "You know what? Well, your situation with your parents is like mine with my parents." They're in denial. Yeah. So, like, when I'd go home, like, they've never seen me do stand-up comedy. Right, even now. In 15 years, they've never been to a live gig. Have they Can I? Have they ever kind of, like, broached it? Like, gone, no. oh, what? Like, no. sometimes my mum tries to, like, edge her way into... My mum has notes all the time. My parents are performers and artists. Dad was a painter. Mum was a dancer and is a filmmaker and scriptwriter. And after shows, her classic line is, so has everyone told you you're fabulous? Great. This thing you do in the second half, I would move it to here and then this. And I had to set a boundary and say to them, hey, uh, 
I need you to be parents first and colleagues second. And every so often mum tries to edge her way into my career with notes or tips or what she thinks. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, they've never seen me perform live. They've never been to a live show. They watch TV stuff? They do, but they never comment on it. It, It's never been talked about. Right. So when I was on Jonathan Ross, um, they said that they'd watched... uh, I knew they'd watched it because my brother told me, Hmm. uh, but it was never talked about. And when I go home, we sit around the dinner table and they'll talk about the Kardashians. They'll talk about Donald Trump. Um, yeah, they were talking about Madonna the other week, saying, oh, my God, has she had a facelift? Oh, if she has, it looks really bad. This is what they talk about. But they never talk about me and my comedy. Do you want them to? I think it's too weird now. So much time has passed Yeah. that it's almost now it's just I'd rather they didn't. It'd be too awkward now. Yeah. I wish they had been on board from the beginning and been supportive and then come and see me. But it's too late now. Mm. It is too late to start being involved in my life and my career. If they had been supportive, maybe I would never have become the person that I am. I often think this too. I think, you know, the person you are now is absolutely the result of what's happened before. So you can wish all you want, but you would be a very different person if those things had happened. You you need something to rebel against and fight against and, I I, agree and with my this parents were that thing do you, was it just you or was it your, your siblings as well your brothers yeah i mean did they that, rebel and that, were they punished as well as you i've got three brothers and one sister right my brothers were always put uh before the girls because boys were more valuable so mm. my brothers went to private school i didn't my parents paid for them to go to private school i didn't go uh because my my education wasn't valued as much because I was just going to get married and have kids. Um, Can I just get where you are in the age range of these brothers and sisters? I've got an older brother, then it was me, then two younger brothers, then a sister. Right. So my older brother went to private school. I didn't. um, Because I I was just going to get married and be a housewife and Mm. be unsuccessful. Well... I I showed them. You showed them. I showed them. Absolutely. Now, question, were you also a model... For your younger sister. So your parents were looking at you, you have to behave because your younger sister's looking up yes. at you. And I looked after my sister and I, you know, I, she saw me as everything. I was kind of like a my, the mother to her. Right. Because she saw how strict my parents were towards us. And the girls, we couldn't do anything. My brothers played cricket and football. We weren't allowed to do anything. And so you were maybe like a more contemporary guide for your sister yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, my mother's ambition for me was to get married and as soon as I can, 18, get married. But she was showing me pictures of men when I was 14, 16. There were these really fat men in villages in Pakistan who were like about 60 with one beard, you know, with a moustache and one kidney. Really big, fat men. <laughs> and my mum... And were you there as a bride or a kidney donor? And my mum, both. My, yeah. and two for the price of one. My mum was like... <laughs> Well, here's a picture of a man, um, you know, we're not asking you to marry him yet, but just kind of like, have a look at this, and then when, maybe when you're 18 or 19, well, you know, you'll get married to him. It feels like a car. It was like... We're not asking for a commitment now, but in a bid, yeah. you can just have a think, because you will need one. And the more they did that, the more I just rebelled against that. I just think it's so funny, the more parents try to install pillars or boundaries or things like that, the child will always... And so, and so I just rebelled against all of that. And I think rebellion is a big thing in comedy. Mm-hmm. You come to comedy because you are rebelling against something. You your religion, back. your culture, your gender, your sexuality, mm-hmm. something. 
your society, the stimulus you're you're pushed in, you're wanting change, you see change. That's why also the best comedy comes from like anger. And you're saying the unsayable. You're saying the things you couldn't say at home. You couldn't say those things in front of your parents. You were told not to say those things. You're a woman. Keep your mouth shut. You know, if you're loud, no man's going to want to marry you. Keep Be quiet. My, my mum always used to say to me, you know, if you talk too much, you are never going to get a husband. So what happened? I made talking my job. That's right. <laughs> it was pure rebellion. But my mom, in a way, my mum was right. Because men don't like loud, outspoken no. women. No. What you end up becoming, because you're rebelling against something, ends up also being, in many ways, kind of like a mix between a blessing and a curse. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Because I, as a female comedian, I then became all the things that my parents didn't want me to be, went out of their way to stop me being. Mm. They wanted me to be feminine and quiet mm. and subservient. How much of that do you think was them trying to protect you or trying to fulfill what they what they thought you needed to be to succeed in society? Like the difference between that? They, I think they thought that if I was a quiet, subservient, uh, obedient woman, I would get a good husband. I would marry. Mm. A, I'd get to marry a doctor. And in those days, and still a bit now, if you're a Asian Muslim woman. You, and you married a doctor, you'd hit the jackpot. Yeah. That was it. Like Same for Jews. Yeah, you'd, you'd hit the jackpot. You'd married a doctor. You were automatically respected mm-hmm. in the community. Set you for all, life. You, were all, you got automatically set for life. You'd get, you'd get money, a good lifestyle. You'd, you'd bring up your children well. They'd go to private school. It'd prove that this person was probably a good person because they were helping people. You did well. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and that was the pinnacle of everything. As a woman, you married a doctor. But, and my mum, I, I saw her at parties where she'd be talking to women and they'd be going, oh, yeah, my daughter, she's married, uh, she's married so-and-so. He's a doctor. Yeah. yeah. He's a doctor. It was like... A doctor? He's my, a doctor? He's you a did doctor. very well. He's a doctor. But what about you being a doctor? What about you? You wouldn't have any... They tried to get me to be a doctor. Right. I went to Manchester University and I did a degree in biochemistry because they said to me, the only way we're going to let you go to university is if you do something scientific because that's respectable. Right. I wanted to do drama, mm-hmm. obviously. I would have been locked up if, if I'd said, no, I'm going to do drama. So I, I want to sing, I want to dance, I want to put on a show. Yeah. Here's a beaker and a Bunsen burner, shut the fuck I up. I know, so I had to do biochemistry. Well, <laughs> Were I you fu- good at I it? Fu- I fucked that up. <laughs> I, you, do you know, I just used to make ecstasy in the lab. It, <laughs> well, I used to try and make ecstasy. Yeah, you right. Know, it's never it very good your lab. first time. You've it, really got to take a couple of... It was the 90s. I was in Manchester. It was the Hacienda. Everybody <laughs> was going out every night. Me in the lab, I was I was trying everything. Chazia Mercer, meth queen of Manchester. Carbon. <laughs> what else can I put in? Bromide. Okay, let's try a bit of that. Uh, so, we've <laughs> really <one>. gone. <laughs> we've t- <laughs> I have one role here. Yeah. My role is to keep things on, on par. Just a reminder, this is a podcast about our relationship. Our relationship with our parents. Okay. I think I have done very well. I have done very well to kind of circle back and tile this in because I think it's really important that it's also the relationship we have with the world is influenced by the relationship the relationship we have with our parents. They're the ones who set us up for whatever relationship we have with the world, for good, for bad, or for whatever Ugly. the third option is. Ugly. Ugly. That's a good one. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. And now, Shazia, one of my favorite moments. It's time for Daddy, Daddy, look, I'm doing a dive. Daddy, Daddy, look, I'm doing a dive. Please tell me a moment in your past where you tried desperately to get your parents' attention. And was it successful? Well, when I was young, my, my dad bought my mum some gold. Um, it, it was a big thing in Asian families to buy their buy gold, you know, mm-hmm. gold necklaces. My dad bought my mum a, a gold necklace with her name written on it, Sarwat. And I um, scrunched it up and I just ruined it and broke it and stamped on it and broke it um, because I wanted one. And he didn't buy me one. He just bought one for my mum and... I just hated both of them. So so, just... so docile and subservient. You'll never find a husband. Oh, no. oh, I know. You also smashed your mum and dad's set of commemorative Charles and Diana plates. I'm a camp bitch, but even I can sense the ultraviolence in that strategic move. My mum and dad, my Asian families in general are obsessed with the royal family. Yeah. Especially Asian women. Can I just ask why is that? Because for me it would seem like such an obvious connection between colonialism yeah. and therefore I would think there'd be quite a an aggressive nature towards monarchy in general. They don't give a shit about colonialism. What they care about is that every Asian woman thinks she's Princess Diana. (laughs) Every Asian woman (laughs) thinks she's had the life of Princess Diana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 19-year-old virgin, arranged marriage, marries a man older than her. Mm. Oh, the man doesn't really love her. Oh, the man starts to have affairs. Mm. She has to breed out two kids to keep the generations going. That is every Asian woman of my mother's generation and can't get divorced because it's not acceptable. Yeah. And there's, of course, like the whole whole thing of duty and respectability. Keeping your mouth shut. I mean, none of them did a Martin Bashir. None of them had the opportunity to air their dirty laundry by going on Panorama or giving an interview or telling everybody how they felt because it wasn't the dumb thing. And so you deliberately chose to smash the Princess Diana plates? It was like, I know you love these, I'm going to smash them. Or was it a fit of... 
why you it really pissed me off because my mum would save all the best plates for when guests came. Oh, I hate that. Oh my god, the guests we're, are coming. Get the best biscuits out and the best. We're plates. not as good. We're not what good. About us? Yeah. Can't I use the Princess Diana plates to eat? No, my you're not off? good enough to eat off Princess Diana. You know, always save the chocolate. Several people were. Yeah. Good on her. So always save the chocolate digestives for the guests. And we all had to have plain digestives. The oats. Just roughing your insides with a wheaty loofah. We were always, we always came second. Yeah. So we taught her a lesson or two. Do your parents recognise now the level of achievement that you have? No. They don't kind of see, even any of you go, she's on TV, she's. No, they they never mention it. They never talk about it. Because would, I would think that the, a level of respectability means that even if you've come at it from the side or through the back door, this fame that you've achieved would then give them a little cachet. Look, I met the Queen three times, right? Three times I was invited to Buckingham Palace. Three times I met the Queen. And it was very unusual because the three times I met her, I actually had really long conversations with her. They were about a minute or two minutes long. She asked me, what, she said to me, asked me what I did. I said I was a comedian. She said, what a fascinating way to describe yourself. If you're going to get thrown shade, throw shade this, by the Queen. I know. And then she said to me, and um, do people recognise you? I thought, obviously not. No. And she, she went, and then she said, the same thing happens to me. She said, I, sometimes I go shooting in the country and people look at me and they go, I know you. And I think, where do you know me from? I wanted to say, you're the fucking, fucking queen. queen. <laughs> and then she was like, um, and uh, what channel, do you do, are you on TV? She said to me, are you on TV? I said, yeah. She said, what channel are you on? I said, oh, you know, BBC, ITV. And she goes, uh, and she goes uh, I watch Coronation Street. That's what she told what? me. She watched Coronation Street. And she said, um, um, and she said, what channel are you on? And I told her, and she said, um, and where do you do this comedy? And honestly, the, the day I went to see her, the next night I was performing at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Famous gay yeah. venue, right? I, which I used to do all the time. And Lily Savage yeah. used to do. And I said, I couldn't think because I never thought I'll I be would telling... be having a conversation with the Queen. Well, actually, I'm performing at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern about 11pm if you want to come. It's a two drink minimum. I told her. <laughs> Did I you? I said, I'm doing the Royal Vauxhall Tavern tomorrow night. And she said, and what's that like? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's very gay. Oh, how fascinating. This was a conversation that I had with the Queen at Buckingham Palace. I want it tattooed down my leg. And it's it, fantastic. And it was like, like loads of people standing by me. And I was thinking... Why are you talking to him? So one question now. What did your parents think when you said, I met the Queen? So three times I met the Queen. And three times my mum was... When I said I'd met the Queen, she said, yeah, but you didn't meet her personally, did you? Oh. And I said, no, I did. And is that when you smashed the plate? Because I would have smashed it then. And then she said, but she didn't talk to you, did she? And I said, no, she did talk to me. And she said, and she invited you? And I said, yes. And the way my mother said it was like, I, uh, why would the Queen invite you? Why was she... Because you, you got to somewhere where she wanted you to be, but not through the way she wanted you to do it. So therefore she herself was delegitimized in it, she, I think. I just... Although I hadn't done it on her terms. Yeah. Mm. I wasn't there because I was a doctor. Yeah. I wasn't there because I, I wasn't... I wasn't there because I was Malala. I yeah. wasn't there because I'd saved someone's life. I was you were there because you got up there telling jokes. Um, yeah, and and she kind of just belittled it. And so that's when I thought three times. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's, that's like, that's that's a, a lot. I'm sorry, that's a hat trick. And I've, that's and blackjack. That's I've, queen blackjack. I met Camilla. 
I've met I've met uh, Kate and William, and I've had conversations with all these people. Does that does that still kind of sting in any way? Do you know? I think you know when you hear this phrase, self-hating Jews. Yep. I think there are a lot of self-hating immigrants. Yeah, I think that's true. Like Pretty Patel, I feel mm-hmm. was, a, was a self-hating immigrant. Yeah. Um, Suella like Braverman. The, yes, so well, there's that term, that term ladder puller, right? Oh yes. Yeah. I got somewhere. I'm going to pull the ladder up behind me. You all pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. I'm not going to help others. And it's not race related, Joe, no. because Thatcher did the same. Exactly. Working class daughter of a greengrocer. Mm-hmm. Oh, did nothing for women, nothing for working class no. people. And I think there's this self hatred that comes from people that have been at the bottom or been mm-hmm. immigrants. And then uh, it's really a strange thing to say, so but I think my mum is uh, in some ways jealous of me. Uh, can I say, the same thing happens in the queer community. You get older gay men who go, I fought for everything, and you just waltz in here, dye your hair blue and call yourself queer. That's not, no, no that's what we fought for. That's what we're trying to get, this sense of where everyone is on equal footing and doesn't have to fight. Your fight doesn't legitimize you. But they suffered, so mm, why we, should you get away with exactly. it? Exactly. Why shouldn't you should have to suffer too? Yes. They are, they are inherently unhappy. And then they're seeing us benefit from their struggle, well, having I, a good time. I think that's what they do. They see, instead of us benefiting from their, their struggle, they see people benefiting in their minds off their backs, yeah. like they're taking advantage or something. But we have to do that. Yeah. That's how, and, that's how it works. That's how progression works. And I think works. the same thing now is extended to the trans community. When you hear women mm-hmm. who are saying, you know, we women, Absolutely we had to go yes. through rape, sexual assault, unequal pay, mm-hmm. we, domestic violence, and you waltz in at the 11th and hour get to say, I'm and a I'm woman. a woman and you haven't experienced the struggle that we have. How can you do that? Well, it's because you're still blinded by your own pain that you're not willing to be open and inclusive. The pain was so horrific mm. in some cases when you think about what women have been through and my mother's generation. Mm. And and you only know this when you get older and I try to be more understanding to my mother now that, you know, she had an arranged marriage at 20 yeah. to a man she'd met three times. He told her he looked like Omar Sharif. He didn't. He looked like a kebab. You know, he I turned wouldn't, up I wouldn't like, complain about Omar either. Omar Sharif, you look nothing like too late she had to marry him and then she had to stay in this marriage where where divorce wasn't accepted and he was like you know a real macho man as they Asian men Muslim men in the 70s and 80s were macho men they had to be head of the house turn a blind eye to whatever he was doing and had a horrific time and then she sees me meeting the queen three Mm. times and she's like in a way denial you think your mum in some ways I guess took took out her own frustrations on you yeah. as kids yeah because my mom was you, know, you on you as on you as daughters on, 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 as daughters yeah. because she she escaped the partition between india and pakistan uh, in uh, 1947 mm. and um and she escaped that and came to england and i think she was very educated she was a teacher she was educated but when she sees like how what I'm doing, which is like was so incomprehensible to her that a Muslim girl from Birmingham in the 80s and 90s could become a stand-up comedian. And, be a star, uh, meet the queen, uh, have all these, be on TV, like, write for the Guardian. It's, she's almost like, how did uh, how how did you do that? How is that possible? Because it wasn't possible for me. Yeah. How how can it? And be so your success you? is reflected in her pain, so she can't celebrate it. No, she finds it very difficult to. At what point do you think, after all of this? Do you think you started to see your parents in a more 360 fashion where you 
understood them and could, I guess, let go of some of that anger? I think there comes a point in your adult life where you have to stop blaming your parents. Yeah. You, you just have to stop it. I know, uh, you know, they say, you know, that, that famous poem, um, Larkin, they fuck, they fuck you up, you up your, your, your mum and dad. Yeah. They don't mean to, but they, they do. do. That is true. But there has to come a point where you have to stop blaming your parents and just take responsibility of your own life. Well, at some point their influence ends and you have enough from the rest of the world to start building yourself. You know, you talk, like you said, it's 80%, you'd say, yeah. but then there's the other 20% that's the rest of your life you without your parents. You have to accept the damage, mm-hmm. accept that you will always be damaged by them and accept that and use that in a positive way. We're lucky we can use it in comedy. Mm-hmm. But you have to stop blaming them at some point. You have to see also that some of the things they gave you are great, some yeah. of the things aren't. And you have to, for me at least with my parents, once I understood my father and had an honest conversation with him, I understood where he came from. I understood the motivations behind it. And you realise that there's this great quote by Bette Midler, which I love, which is there's no such thing as a mean person, just a trapped person. And you go, in many instances, their actions aren't through malice. It's motivated by, let's say, their own trauma, their own pain, their own blindness, you know. And no parent has a manual, right? Every parent's just making shit up as they go along. So at some point, for me at least, I could go, oh, I don't need to forgive you. I understand you. you yeah. Know? I can let this go. I think when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're very angry about the damage they've mm-hmm. done to you. You know, you, you're, you're up, so you think, oh, why can't they be more supportive? Yeah. Why can't they love me more? Why can't they just let me do what I want? And what, in your 40s, you're just too and tired? And when you turn 40, I think you think, you know what, you've got to stop. You're wasting your own life yeah. by being angry at them and blaming them. You've got to think about what you've achieved and mm-hmm. how, you, in a way, you've done it on your own because they weren't supportive to me. I've done this on my own and just kind of... Just try and understand them. It goes from anger to understanding why they did what they did. I mean, you can't deny there are some awful parents out there. Absolutely. Who abuse their children on many Mm -hmm. different levels. And that is inexcusable. But even if you are a child who has been through awful things with your parents, you have to come to a point where, for yourself, you stop blaming them so that you can live some of your life happy or content some people never reach that point in their life and are angry till they die and blame their parents till they die and what a waste of your own life Mm. after such a tumultuous kind of fraught relationship from childhood to adolescence to a sort of i guess maybe an estrangement in your adult life what's the relationship now well, they're old and fat and they can't chase me. They, can't ch- <laughs> they, can't, they cannot chase me down the street anymore. One second, <laughs> anymore? They chased you down the street? My dad was always chasing me down the street. Come back, come back, you're not staying out late. Come back. Do you know what? In the biopic, the biopic, they could never catch up to you. <laughs> she was always out flying and running. Run, Shazia, run. Come fly with me. And then credits. Oscars. So they, they can't chase me now. They are old. My dad's 84, as I said, diabetic, two heart attacks on his way out. And my mum, she's 74. So they're old now. And they're not as, obviously, they don't have the energy that they had when they were in their 30s and 40s. So they don't shout as much. They're not as aggressive. Um, and we do things now, like during the pandemic, I went home to stay with them for three months. And my mum loves gardening. So I did some gardening with them. And I'd make my dad some food and we'd sit and we'd eat and we'd watch TV together. 
And we do just simple things together, gardening, watching television, and just sitting with them, which I never used to do. Mm. And I see them differently now. Mm. I see them. I see them looking back on their life a lot. Uh, I see them reflecting a lot. And and my dad says to me a lot of times, like in passing, he says, you know, I, I did try my best. I did do my best. I thought I was doing my best. And... I think they do have regrets um, and they felt they feel like they could have done better, but they're old now and they're different. They're, I see them now as just two old people and I actually see them as frail and vulnerable. Yeah. And they no longer hold the power. No. So it's a very different relationship. I would imagine that they even see you now as holding a lot of power. Yeah. Kirsten, if you were watching TV with your parents... Yeah. And you came on. Yeah. What do you think their reaction would be? I think they'd change the channel. I think even now. I think they'd rather watch two people having sex on TV than watch and see me doing stand up. I really do. Just any two people indiscriminately, or do they have like Omar Sharif and a kebab? Because that happened to me once. You know what? We, we were watching some comedy on TV. I think it was live at the Apollo or some panel show. Um, and my, I think my dad was worried that I was going to come on. He switched it on, and the other channel there was this film called Rita Sue and Bob Two. And I don't know if you watch this. It's a it's a very British eighties film. I know because Amanda is nodding vociferously. They, they were just banging each other. They were banging the neighbours. They were banging in the car. Once they were again. dogging. There was also. And my dad left it on this film, and I thought he would rather watch this dogging in a car on Rita Sue and Bob Two than watch some Rita, comedy because he was worried that I might come on. Two. That, well, <laughs> at least someone was coming on. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous, isn't it? Because you know what? Nobody likes to watch these sex scenes on TV. No, not with your parents. All right, Shazia, we are nearly at a close. Okay. So one final emotional purging to undergo. It's called Shall I Be Mother? Sting, please. Shall I be mother? Look into my eyes, I know, my beautiful real lashes, I was raised under power lines, and pretend I'm your parents, both of them at the same time, or one after the other, up to you. Now tell me every single thing you'd like to say to them. Be honest as you like. I would like to say to my mum and dad that I know that deep down that you love me and I love you too. But it has been really, it's been really difficult. Um, but I understand why you are the way you are. You know, um, what you've been through is what you are. And that's came out in your parenting. But we, we love each other. We forgive each other. And, and, and thank you because... I would never have become who I am if you hadn't have been the parent that you were. As awful and as brilliant <laughs> as you were. <laughs> and neither has blinked for that whole time. Real tears up here. Shazia, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. Come to Daddy. I would love to. Please, never leave. This has been so much fun. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. This was Come to Daddy, a podcast about our parents hosted by me, Reuben Kay, actress, model, and the only Norman Bates impersonator to really get the wig right. I hope you've learned something about your relationship with your parents through some of Shazia's experiences. I know I have. It's helped me see who I am, who I used to be, and why I am the way I am. But one thing I still haven't learned, how do I stop making it all about me?
Thanks for coming to Daddy Shazia. Oh, I loved coming to you. <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.